This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles and this is FT Startup Stories. Before we get started on this week's episode, I wanted to let listeners know we have a live startup event taking place in London on November 22nd. Come to the FT for drinks and discussions with me and a collection of inspiring entrepreneurs will be talking about what it takes to build a business. For more information and tickets, please go to ft.com forward slash startup engage. Phil Davidson is a bit of a health nut and was frustrated when working long hours as a broker in London that he couldn't find healthy food in the office vending machines. So after a spot of travelling, he decided to design his own. He showed me the machine in operation before telling me his story. This is Mother, which is a healthy, high-tech, fresh food vending machine. So as you can see, there's a 22-inch touchscreen that controls the machine, and all the products are configured in the machine, and it's a selection of fresh food made in our production kitchen and a combination of various snacks and drinks from our selected brand partners. So the smart bit is in the back-end technology and the user interface The digital screen is configured to reflect the physical location of all the products. So users can see every single item on that touch screen. So you just tap the items that you want and it adds them to your basket. So it acts like a multi-purchase function. So you could, for example, buy a meal deal. You could buy a salad, a wrap and a drink and a chocolate bar all in one go. You can also tap the product information of all the items so if you wanted to see the nutritionals on any given product you just hit the information button and it's got all the ingredients the allergens the nutritional profiles you'll see that there's no prices on the point of sale in the actual vending machine they're all on the touch screen and that's because we can remotely control all of the prices so the smart thing about that is being a fresh food vending machine Obviously, waste is something that we need to be very mindful of. If we have a quieter day, we can just ping an alert to the machine and it will change all of the prices and reduce them by 50%. And then we can advertise that on the splash image. So this image will change to show you that it's 50% off. All of the machines are controlled from a central hub. So we can monitor every single machine on a real-time basis. And we can control every single feature of that machine, be it the product image, the price, the nutritional information, or even the temperature of the machine, the lighting. We can even remotely vend items from the machine. So if there was ever a problem with the machine and a customer was in front of it, we have a helpline number on the actual front of the machine. 
they would call us and say, for example, my chicken salad didn't come out of the machine, can you help? We could just log on and we could vend them that salad, or we could vend them another product, and maybe even comp them a complimentary chocolate bar or something for the inconvenience. And I guess the main point is obviously if we can control our wastage, we can be a little bit more aggressive with how much product we're putting in the machine. We can take a lot more risks with new kinds of products, how much we actually stock. So long term, I'd like to think that will actually have an impact on the volume that we sell and as well as the margin that we get less the wastage. What was the logic for the name Mother? Well, I'd love to take credit for it, but it wasn't necessarily my idea. We worked with an incredible brand agency, and it's kind of got a double meaning. Mother for the natural nurturing element of our food, but then mothership, motherboard for the technology piece. It feels like something you need a lot of funding for when there's a lot of hardware involved. If I'm completely honest, I was a little bit naive about how much it would cost. I thought there would be some really awesome vending machines that already existed out there and I could just rebrand it and put the products I wanted to sell inside the machine. However, it quickly became apparent that wasn't so and I did a lot of research into what was out there and the costs involved of almost bespoking the technology were astronomical, like several hundred thousand pounds and that was just something I didn't have. So I was fortunate that a couple of my friends invested small amounts of money and I got enough money that I could buy a vending machine. And then I did get introduced to a vending software company who would try and do something bespoke for me for a reasonable price. So I ended up teaming up with some ex-Jamie Oliver guys who helped me curate the brands, the food offer, introduced me to some fantastic sort of brand and design agencies who curated the whole mother brand and identity. I actually had a friend whose wife helped to curate the menu. She's a bit of a freelance chef. And then with the technology, we had a, a UX guy who designed the whole interface. And we kind of knew how we wanted it to work and look and feel, but this guy really guided us. His expertise was invaluable. And then it was a case of finding a vending software company to do the back-end technology and that was the piece that I completely underestimated how difficult that really is. This company that we partnered with said this wouldn't be a problem and they could take the machine that I'd bought and the interface we'd created and they could combine the two. However, six months later and still not close to having a product that actually worked, we had the brand, we had the machine, we had everything ready to go, but it was actually just the software that wouldn't work. So it took the best part of a year to get the software to a level that we thought we could go live with. So we kind of soft launched it in a shared workspace, a hot desking office just in Whitechapel. So there was a lot of tech companies actually in there. So we were being, you know, under the microscope from some very intelligent, smart tech techies. They gave us some fantastic feedback, but the UX people loved and the machine and the brand. But we had so many problems with the machine, not vending when it was supposed to vend, not working when it was supposed to work. And after about six weeks, we realised that the software just wasn't good enough. I suppose people would say, well, why not hire a great tech team and, and get that done when it's so core for the business? Absolutely, and I think I was driven by cost. We'd spent a lot of money on the brand, the design, and we burnt through all of our cash, and I had invested all my savings, and we put a lot of faith in people that we, we shouldn't have. So pretty much pulled the machine, and we said, right, we're going to start again. 
So we put together a brief of exactly what we needed. We put it out to various different software companies and I was very fortunate that a family friend who is an incredible tech genius stepped up to the plate and took it on as a consultancy basis and uh, came to the rescue. It's who you know sometimes, it's those connections. Absolutely. I would say nearly every single person that has been involved in the business is a friend of a friend or someone that I got introduced to. And meeting this guy, the family friends, who I knew well anyway, was an absolute godsend and he essentially saved the business, you could say. But what he built was absolutely fantastic. And it's what you see here today. We're at PwC's office in London. Who else is using this stuff now? We've actually got eight life sites at the moment, mainly big corporates, PwC, Amazon, BP, Cisco, Barclays Bank, Berenberg Bank. It's those busy office environments. And what's the revenue model? The most expensive part is the machines and the software, and that's the smart part as well, along with offering fresh food. So corporates pay for the service of having a high-tech machine in their offices, so they almost lease the machine and then we take the revenue from the products that are sold in the machine and it's as simple as that really. This is an established market here though that you're trying to disrupt. Yes. How do you break through a number of long-standing sort of businesses? That's been really tough. You're totally right, the market is a few big dominant players in the vending arena. However, I think it's an industry that just hasn't innovated in the machines and the kind of products that they offer. So eventually people take notice and the big corporates realize the value in an offer like ours. It's a health and well-being solution for corporates, giving their staff access to healthy, fresh food 24-7, and not many people can actually do that. And obviously, the quality of our products for the price that people pay, for example, everything in our machines is under five pounds, we can make that work because once the machine is in a site and it just requires obviously stocking but it doesn't require a physical person to be stood there next to it serving people. Where is that food being made? We have a central production unit in London so we can access the West End and the city within 15 minutes so all of our food is distributed via a refrigerated vehicle and our aim is that every machine is stocked by 9am in the morning. Obviously, we can see what brands do and don't sell. So, obviously, what products we sell are popular and we can spot trends in the products, the time of day that things are sold as well. And that is very valuable information, not just for us about how we craft our menu and how we tailor each site, but also potentially for the brands that we partner with as well. Trying to get a business like this to scale, it feels like something that may require, you know, the enormous amounts of fundraising. Absolutely, I think for us to scale we need a large chunk of fundraising and that is something that we are looking at at the moment. I guess there's the angel investment route, there's the VC route, private equity and then there's the various sort of crowdfunding sites. The angel route I suppose is probably the preference for us but I don't think anything would necessarily be off the table. It could be a combination of all of those really. You're in London What's the benefit of being in London? There's a number of benefits. One, obviously, our potential client base. There's so many large corporations that could benefit from an offer like ours. Logistically, it's easy for us to hit lots of different sites, but also the talent pool that we can draw on. 
when we get funding and the kind of hires that we need, you know, really smart techies, sales, marketing people, you know, the talent pool of London is enormous. And in terms of the sort of next stage of growth? Corporates is our core market at the moment in London M25, but I think if the model can work in London, then there's no reason it can't work in other cities. But you've also got things like the health sector, you know, big 24-7 hospitals, education, large universities. There's so many different avenues that we could go down with this. And then you think about vending. You know, the UK isn't necessarily big on vending, but you know, in Europe and the States and obviously Japan, vending is massive. And if, if we've got a really strong brand and a strong machine and technology, there's no reason we couldn't try and push it further afield, thinking a little bit further down the line. Is there a piece of tech that you personally live by as an entrepreneur and say, I couldn't do this job if it wasn't for that? <laughs> obviously, a pretty obvious one, but, but my phone. But obviously, I think it's very addictive. It's, it's, as soon as we got our dashboard so we could monitor sales and I had an app on my phone so I had real-time data, you often find yourself waking up at 3am and just checking to see if someone might have bought a chicken salad up <laughs> during the night. So it becomes highly addictive and highly dangerous. But I think if I didn't have that sales app on my phone, I definitely couldn't live without that. <laughs> For someone concerned about health, that can be a very unhealthy lifestyle. Absolutely, yes. I think it's not conducive to healthy living, setting up a business, but uh, hopefully the balance might shift further down the line. AJ Barler teaches business innovation at Cass Business School. I asked him what advantages a smart startup like Mother may have over larger and more established rivals. Mother faces two sets of challenges. One is the challenge of shifting consumer behavior in this area. And second set of challenges actually comes from companies which are vested into this business, such as Coca-Cola, which are increasingly under pressure to offer healthy products and healthy range in their vending machines. So what does Mother bring in here? And I think what Mother brings in here is perhaps variance in terms of its product range, which is a step forward. Mother effectively has to go through striking partnerships and alliances. And as you know, you know, we we seeing increasingly consumer preference towards these small stores. So Mother may survive that and perhaps prosper because of the shifting trend of bringing small family-owned independents to this machine. <laughs> and if you look at the product range which Mother is trying to offer, perhaps that is a smart step forward and is a step function of the consumer preference towards going for niche products or going for products which are made in small bakeries or small independent units rather than ones which are being produced in mass factories. And if you are a a small brand and you're bought by a big company like Coca-Cola or maybe Unilever, Isn't there a danger that you lose that essence? How do you maintain that? In one way, I think a company such as Mother would profit from being bought over by a large company. And the real task a company such as Mother face is if they can retain their independence as they are being bought over. And we've seen that I think Coca-Cola bought Innocent and has allowed the founders to stay on and carry on with the vision which they initially came up with. These are the drinks 
the, the innocent smoothies and uh, we are all aware of and there are many other brands ben and jerry's and, and naked smoothies i think also which are part of the larger conglomerates so a company such as mother would perhaps be less tied to being cash positive in a short and medium term and be able to continue and establish itself without that pressure on margins I asked Phil if he had any regrets or advice for others in his situation. Yeah, I think it's quite easy to get carried away and think of all the amazing things that you could do with the offer, different revenue streams, but I think just nailing the product is the most important thing. And I think we were very premature with when we launched it, we should have held it back. I was so eager to get it out there because I was worried about someone else coming along and doing it, but actually we could have held it back six months and it wouldn't necessarily have made, had a negative impact on the future course of the business. It would have had a positive impact in hindsight. I mean, I would say financially, however much money you think it's going to take to do an idea, times it by 10 maybe. Everyone did tell me that at the start, that no matter what business it is, you're always going to need more money than you think and it's always going to take longer than you think and that has definitely uh, come true. Next time, we talk to Nikhil Shah, who built a profitable online radio streaming service without the help of any outside investors. Listen next week to hear his story. In the meantime, you can catch up on previous episodes by going to our special page, ft.com forward slash startup. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye.